Maybe you've heard the story of the guy and his wife who were having issues. That, see, and when, if you don't live in El Paso, if you've ever lived anywhere else, you know that there are these things at homes called lawns where they grow grass. And so this particular, that may not be the case at your house. It's not at my house, but uh, uh, I've lived places like that. And in this particular husband and wife scenario, they were having some of those typical showdowns of will. The husband didn't cut the grass as often as his wife wanted him to. And uh, for some reason, he decided to be a little bit belligerent on this particular occasion. And she had been pushing him to go out and get the grass cut. And he always had something else to do, something more important. And so um, one day she came across this idea that she thought would fix his wagon once and for all. And so uh, she waited until he got home from work, actually about the time when he normally showed up. She went out and planted herself in the middle of the front lawn, sat down and waited to see his car coming down the street. And when she caught sight of it, she pulled out of her little bag with her there a pair of scissors. And as he pulled into the driveway, she started cutting the tops off of the grass with her scissors. She thought to herself, surely he'll get the message out of this. And so he hopped out of the car, he acknowledged her, and he said, hey, honey, I'll be right back. Hang on a second. So he goes inside, he comes out with a can of WD-40. And he plops down beside her and he says, I think this will help you uh, if we make sure those scissors work well. So he took the scissors and he sprayed them, he handed them back to her and he hopped up and he said, I'm going to go inside and watch the game. Call me if you need anything else. Allegedly, his stab wounds took a couple of months to heal well. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that's a fictional story. So today... (laughs) We pick up a topic from the preacher that I would just assume him not handle. I I may have told you when I first got here, I know that we preached the sermon on anger back then, uh, that I am what I call a a recovering angerholic. And uh, if you don't believe that about me, then that's a testimony to the grace of God and the way he can transform a life. But today we take a little bit of a turn in our study of the preacher and what he writes to us in the book of Ecclesiastes, because up to this point, it has largely been these topics that we see him address in his own chase for meaning and for, uh, for fulfillment in life. Uh, and we've seen enough of those to recognize that he is systematically deconstructing a philosophy of life that seems to be pretty per- pervasive in our day. And so people chase for, to find meaning and fulfillment. They chase money and fame and power and a lot of those kind of things. And we've looked at that as he has laid it out for us. But today, we take a bit of a turn because the passage we're in today, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn there with me. But uh, in this topic today, it's not so much the object of the chase that he has in mind, it's the demeanor that we carry in our own lives and in our own chases for meaning and fulfillment. And he particularly speaks to the point of anger today. I, I will tell you, I'm, I'm ready to get through this sermon. I started to give you a devotionalette, that's like two minutes worth of it, just because this week for a recovering angerholic like me, this is a terrible topic to preach on. Because all week long, God has been throwing opportunities for me to prove that I have not arrived 
when it comes to anger. So I'm just going to invite you onto the boat with me today as we work our way through this and find ourselves in this passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we're only going to be in two verses today. These two verses come within this section that actually is a comparison, it's a contrast section. He has now changed his literary approach and he now gives some of what is typical of wisdom literature in the Old Testament as he gives just wise sayings, but these sayings contrast one thing against another. So we pick up in verse 8, better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Here's the big idea I would like for you to take with you. It's a little bit compressed, and we'll unpack it as we go. But let me go ahead and lay it out for you, and then I'll say it again at the end to help you see where we've been. A byproduct of a wrongly focused chase is frustration. Let me stop for a second and just unpack that. In other words, when we're chasing the wrong things in life, and God ultimately is not who we are chasing and that fulfillment that only comes with him, when we wrongly focus the uh, the chase of our lives, we end up frustrated. We continue the saying now, frustration can lead to anger, which can become deeply embedded in our lives. When I chase the wrong things, I just end up frustrated, and my frustration before it's over with finds its way out of my mouth and out of my life in anger, And if I don't deal with that, it becomes embedded and it becomes part of my character. So let me stop for a minute and just ask you to own that if you need to. I want to ask you if you're an angry person, but I've found in asking angry people that, that they typically say no. So if I were to ask your spouse if you are an angry person, see why I thought I should just do a devotional et this morning? Well, let's unpack it a little bit. First of all, let's, uh, let's examine a little bit about how we in modern days handle our anger. There is that group of people, and I, I, I kind of already mentioned them. They're the ones who just give flat-out denial. I, I don't get angry. I'm not an angry person. But if you look at the people around them and you survey the way they live their lives and the way people around them handle them, you often can see that some people are much more angry than they think they are. And I'm not talking about here that flash anger. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But I'm just talking about that deeply embedded kind of anger that finds its way out in bitterness and distrust and ultimately isolation. There are those people who just say, I I just deny it. I'm not an angry person at all. I said that for years. Here's another way we look at it. Sometimes we just explain it away. And usually we explain it away based on something about our heritage or about the way we look. All right, please don't, don't misunderstand this. I'm not accusing anybody here, all right? But I have a friend in my background And this lady is still a friend of mine. If she were to walk in the door today, we would be on great terms. And she and her husband are great friends. He used to be one of my staff members. She's redheaded. Now, if you're redheaded, God loves you and I love you, all right? I'm not accusing you of being angry, but in her case, she had one of those snap kind of, I mean, temper, anger, anger, anger. 
this girl had. And when confronted with it, her standard reply was, I'm redheaded. Well, I'm ugly, but that doesn't give me a freedom to be angry all the time. So some people just say, well, that's right. Or they say, well, you know, I'm Irish, and that's just part of being Irish. Okay, I guess. My point is that many of us who are angry people just explain it away instead of owning how bad it can be in relationships. Sometimes we find those people who do understand how bad it is to live an angry life. And what they do is they begin then to deflect the responsibility. You might well have said this. It's pretty common in our modern vernacular in American society. Well, he just makes me so mad. Can I give you a newsflash? Nobody has the power to make you mad. If you get mad, it's because you chose to get mad. Now, I granted, some of those people out there are jerks enough. That's a, that's a Christian love term. They're just jerks. <laughs> and they have the ability to stir that part of us that makes us want to choose to be angry with them. Just don't deny the fact that anger is a choice. I've already said enough to get myself in a lot of trouble, so let me see if I can take another step before we ultimately are going to get to, okay, so how do you deal with it in your life? But I want to make sure that we own what's ours to own, and so let's look at a couple of different kinds, or three different kinds of anger that we tend to have in our lives. The first one is righteous anger. This is the one that we all prefer. If we're going to be angry at all, this is the one that really is not at all offensive to God. As a matter of fact, this is the one that we find modeled in Jesus Christ of all people. Mark chapter 3. Keep your place here. Go over with me to Mark chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and begin the process of working our way through this passage, the whole thing. So Mark chapter 3 verse 1. And again, Jesus entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus, that is the religious leaders, the scribes, Pharisees, etc. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. They're out to get Jesus. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? By the way, that's just an example of if you're going to get into a battle of wits with Jesus, don't come unarmed because he has a way of turning it right back on you as he did with them. And it says they understood that. It doesn't say that, but clearly they understood it because it says they were silent with that. And here's the verse I want us to get. And he looked around at them with anger. So let me just stop there and say that if you happen to be one of those in the church circles and churchianity of our day who believes that it's never okay to be anger, then you have a problem with Jesus at this point. And if you think it's never okay, then either he's wrong or you're wrong, and I would encourage you to be careful how you take sides on that issue. The reason Jesus was angered with them and grieved, it says, the next thing there, was because of their hardness of heart. In other words, they were losing people 
because of their religion and its practice. And it says it angered Jesus. So there is that righteous anger. We could also jump over to Ephesians chapter 4 where it says in verse 26, this is Paul talking, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So in other words, biblically, there's good cause for us to understand that there is a type of anger that is acceptable. Here's one of those applications I think that we should probably get when we see the systematic denial of rights to people, then that should anger us. When we see a child who is put into a situation because of sinful choices of their parents and the child suffers greatly because of that, that should anger us because people matter with God and they should matter with us. Righteous anger. Hear me carefully when I say that it is acceptable in Scripture to have this kind of anger. The problem is it's the least common of the human responses of anger that we see. Because what we tend to see is this emotional outburst or the release of emotion that is reactive in nature. Let me just see if I can take a couple of minutes to help you understand my week. See, (laughs) I told you I'm a recovering angerholic. You heard that, right? My wife heard that. Nobody else did, apparently. (laughs) So, So this week... While I'm working through the preliminary stuff of this sermon, God put me in a situation, okay, God allowed me into a situation where I had to work on my anger deal because there was this woman who was driving a Toyota Corolla. It was black. The license number was... (laughs) Confession is good for the soul, but it's bad for your reputation. So I'm sitting in line at a local coffee place whose name rhymes with Starbucks. (laughs) And because I'm a gentle soul and because I'm considerate and conscientious of other people, I pulled into the drive-through lane and there were five, six, seven cars in front. I don't know exactly because they were backed all the way up. And the way this particular drive-through area was... Uh, once the drive-through, per se, with the curves on it ended, then it was suddenly in this drive area of another parking lot, several different businesses around there. And so if I pulled in and got up on the bumper of the person in front of me, I would have been blocking a thoroughfare, a, a right-of-way for people coming the other direction. And so I decided I'll just sit back here next in line. I put on my blinker because nobody should be able to go in front of me, and I want everybody to know that. That's a joke. So as I'm sitting there waiting for the line to clear enough for me to turn into that drive, that that clearly defined drive-through area, this lady in a black Toyota Corolla license number uh, comes whipping up behind me. She whips past me and dives into that parking space in front of me. Now, I'm not going to tell you the various ways that I decided God should deal with her But several things crossed my mind. And here's the real, I mean, there's several problems with me in this whole thing. But one of them, and by the way, we're talking about this emotional outburst, this release, right? 
And so I'm sitting there, and so now there's so many cars in front of us, it's going to take us a few minutes, like 10 minutes or so, to get all the way up to the window. And I have to look at this car in front of me. And she has the gall to refuse to look in her rearview mirror and see me. (laughs) And so somewhere in the process, about the time that I got up to the window, I, I was pretty... See, she should have known that I was a recovering angerholic and not put me in that position. <laughs> About the time I got up one car from the window, in other words, she was at the window where I was supposed to be by that time. And at about that time, I hear God as he tugs on my heart a little bit, and the Holy Spirit speaks into my spirit and says, so you want to preach on anger this week, do you? <laughs> no, sir. That tends to be the more common approach to anger that we see in our day. And we'll come back to that in a few moments, but let's look at this third one very quickly before we move on. The third type of anger that I think we find in our society, and we may have seen, and I'm not a psychologist and I'm certainly not one from a distance, but we may well have seen the outflow of this kind of anger this week in the school shooting in South Florida. This is that type of anger that is deep-seated. It's a seething kind of an anger. It's the kind of anger that we pack away and that we nurse off of for a while. And it just gets stronger and stronger and ultimately finds its expression in ways that are hurtful and sometimes fatal to the people around us. So before we get to the how we treat this, let me just pause for a minute and see if we've done the work to help us all come to grips with where we are in this spectrum of anger. And I know that all of us are not angry people. I understand that. I admire those of you who don't struggle with this. But do any of those describe you? Do you ever find yourself... Whether you're an angerholic or not, do you ever find yourself where the moment or the situations or a lifetime of situations finds this expression inside of you that ramps up your heartbeat and your blood pressure and all of those other things that tend to come with anger? Do you find yourself secretly inside of yourself figuring out ways to make somebody pay? If you do... With all the love that I can muster, I want to say to you, you need to get a handle on that. You need to find victory over that. Because people around you tend to pay the price for that point of spiritual failure. I know that because I have a long history of not caring about those things. And if you're going to deal with it, you need to deal with it at the root of the problem. So let's see what now the preacher has to say about this as we step forward. Three different suggestions that I have for you today on how to effectively handle or treat anger problems in your own life. All right? Hear me carefully now. If you are listening to this sermon, whether on TV or in here or on a podcast somewhere, and if you're listening to this, 
thinking to yourself, well, I wish my husband would listen to this, then you've already missed the point of the whole message, all right? You can't change for somebody else. You have to own what's yours. So here's the first one. The first point for effective treatment of anger problem is don't thrive on it. I know this sounds a little bit crazy for those of us, those of you who don't struggle with anger problems. I I had a pastor one time who used to say this about people. He said, you know, some people thrive on crisis. In fact, they love crisis so much and all the energy that comes from a crisis that if they don't have a crisis in their life, they're going to create one because they just love the energy that comes from it. And that's this verse. Look at verse 9 again. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. I love the way the New American Standard says this because I think they captured the idea best. Here's what it says. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry. This is that person who wears anger like a badge. Well, you know, you don't want to push, you don't want to push my buttons because I, I'm angry. I'll get after you. Okay. Thank you for that testimony. But it's not really something to be proud about. But sometimes, here's the deal with anger. For, for those of you who really struggle with this, I, I, I think this helps Maybe if somebody says this, for you, sometimes we just thrive on it. The, the anger that comes, the emotion that comes, it, it has, it's almost a euphoric kind of thing. Elvin was talking about the marathon today. Uh, I used to run marathons. Matter of fact, I started to think this, I, I, I thought about running this one today, but I found if I'll get in a dark room with a cup of coffee, that thought goes right away and I don't have to worry about that. But you know, one of the things about running that was uh, so, uh, so important to me in the days that I did that all the time was you, you get, you know, you've heard of a runner's high. It's a real deal. And I found because, because I have one foot in that world and another foot in the anger world, I found that there's some, some similarities there. And for some of us, that anger part of us, it it is this euphoria almost that takes over and we don't really care about anybody else and the impact that it has on us. And so it just kind of takes over and expresses itself. We come to the end of it and it's almost as if we step back from ourselves and look at what's going on and go, man, wow. And the people around us are bleeding, sometimes literally so. Because of that. Don't be eager in your heart to be angry. Don't be that guy, in other words. Here's the second suggestion for, for effective treatment that we find. And this was a nuance to the first one. I recognize that it sounds a lot the same, but it is a nuanced different. This is the one that says don't entertain anger's presence in your life. The first one is don't thrive on it. This one is don't even let it be there. You ever have a a stray dog or a stray cat show up at your house? Now, we used to have those (laughs) come around us. We lived out in the country and, you know, every once in a while one would roll up and my mom and dad would say, don't feed it. Why not? Because if you feed it, it'll stay. And then it becomes your pet whether you wanted it to be 
or not. And some of us are like that with anger. It's one of those things, maybe we don't thrive on it necessarily, but it's one of those things that we have just grown comfortable with it. This is the first part of verse 9. I read it again. Be not quick in your, excuse me, the second part of verse 9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. By the way, does it make you a little bit mad that he calls us a fool there? (laughs) If it does, ding, 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 pay attention. Let's dig on the terminology he uses for just a moment. Because fools, you know, fool is a, it's an offensive term. The word in its root meaning comes from a word that means to be sluggish. And here the word has this idea of being dull or obstinate. Not, not a mental deficiency, But rather, this is the person who has that propensity in their life to make wrong choices and just keep making wrong choices. And so if we happen to be that person who has allowed anger to take up residence like a stray dog or a stray cat in our lives, and it has now become part of the furniture of our lives, then it may well be that we are the one who has that propensity to make wrong choices time and time again because the more you give place to anger in your life, the more normal it seems to you. We can get so comfortable with it that we think it belongs. It's getting kind of quiet in here, so let me go to number three. The third strategy for us in getting anger out of our lives is to recognize that we need to trade pride in favor of patience. This is verse 8, the second part especially, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. What we find here is that the writer, the preacher, helps us to understand that there is a self issue with us if anger is one of our deals. That self-issue finds expression in a couple of different ways. Ultimately, it's self-worship. It's, it's the pride part. Pride is that point of reference that says, I got it going on. I'm God's gift to this situation, and I'm going to step into that, and I'm okay with all of that, which basically stated means that I practice self-worship. This is the one who says, as many of us fathers may have said in one way or another, maybe only in our heads, but it expresses itself with our children, it's my way or the highway. That's this word. That's this problem for us. Here's why that's a problem. Because self-worship and pride says effectively that everybody else has to subordinate their wills to mine. This goes back to that statement I made at the very beginning. This is the lifestyle that leads to frustration because the reality is many other people out there think that they're God of their universe just like we tend to think we're God of our own universe. And when gods collide, that's with a small g, then there are sparks that fly, sparks that are angry in the way they come across. So the insubordination of other people tends to leave us frustrated And frustration often leads to anger. If they would just do it my way, it would be better. I I get this. (laughs) 
I grew up with this. If you just did it my way, we pass that on. And we hold that expectation out to other people. And it gets to us. The second self-problem is self-control. This is the little kid that throws a fit. <laughs> I love it when God drops sermon illustrations into my lap. My, my, we had our daughter and grandson on FaceTime last night. Now, my grandson is a little over two, but he has an attitude that's fitting of a teenager already. And I've never seen a kid throw a fit wanting to take a bath, but I saw it last night. They, they moved all day long out of an apartment into a house, and so all day long they were dealing with that, and Declan was uh, doing something else. I'm not sure what he did all day long, but by the time they got us on FaceTime, it was bath time, and he was living it up in the bathtub. I mean, it was something else, listening to him, and he's jabbering and all that stuff. And finally his mama said, okay, it's time to get out of the bathtub. Declan, it's time to get out of the bathtub. No. Okay, let me just tell you. In our house, if a kid says no to an adult, there's a problem fixing to happen. And my daughter is from my house. So when he said no to his mama, I want you to know the game was on. And he threw, Teresa's family used to say this, a wall-eyed fit. I don't know what wall-eyed fit looks like, but his was something to see. You see, that's a self-control problem. And many of us who struggle with anger have self-control issues. And before we know it, that euphoria that I talked about kicks in, and it's just anything goes, and I'll say anything that comes to my mind, doesn't matter how much it hurts. By the way, when you say it, it's like ringing a bell. You don't get to unring it. And so things happen because loss of self-control in the midst of an angry fit And it causes damage to people that we care about. All of those things should be indicators for us of, okay, these are things that I need to address. If I want to overcome this anger problem, those are areas that I need to look at and I need to address. And finally, we come to what is the ultimate solution here. And this is in the first part of verse 8. It's interesting that the whole thing of anger comes under this umbrella. He says, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. This is where he steps in and he says, it's the perspective of life that matters here. If anger is a control issue and anger is one of those things that comes out of my own chase and I'm trying to find fulfillment and I'm, I'm frustrated because somebody else won't get, how do I make sense of this? I have to control it. And if people don't go along with that, then I just have to blow up on them. But he says the very beginning of the whole thing is if you can get to the end of the matter and look backwards, then it all makes sense. This is our deal of 2020 hindsight. So when you get to that part, what you recognize is that at the end of it all, God is the one who is in control. God is the one who is in charge. God is the one who is God. And when I submit myself to him, and trust him to be God and trust him to deal with the circumstance. I don't have to be in control. I don't have to try to beat somebody else over the head emotionally to try to get them to what I want them to do because I can trust that God ultimately loves me. He ultimately wants the best for me. And ultimately, 
he will be God. So there's no reason to have to be angry about someone who won't do your bidding for you. The hardest lesson that I had to learn coming through anger issues two decades ago. I don't have to call the shots. I can rest in the sovereignty of God and know that it's going to be okay. Sure made my wife a happier wife when I figured that out. There's one last thing I want you to get out of this. Notice in verse 9 the repetition of these words in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Sorry, but, uh, verse 8. Uh, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. If you really want victory, hear me very carefully now. If you're one of those angry, angry people, if you really want victory, it's not about fixing the externals. It's about a transformation of your spirit. You want evidence of that? If you go over to the book of Galatians chapter 5, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and anger. No, wait a minute. That's not in there. You've got to listen to me. <laughs> but the fruit of the Spirit is not anger at all. As a matter of fact, it's patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and other things, self-control being one of them. You hear me carefully. You cannot defeat anger in your own power. Can't be done. But the Holy Spirit will remake you from the inside out if you will consistently bow your knee to God. And then these things become part of his character as they live out in you. It's fruit of his presence in your life. So if you're here today, let's close this up. If you're here today, and this is a real struggle for you, let me just encourage you to take it as seriously as you possibly can. You, you may not even have a clue about the damage and relationships that goes on around you because of your anger. I'm not here to beat you up about that. It might, might have made you mad today. I get that. I get it. But the Holy Spirit right now is offering a better way of life to you than just giving place to your anger. And maybe that some of us need professional help to deal with this, but whether that's true or not, all of us need spiritual help. And so my invitation to you today is if Jesus Christ is not already your Savior, then that's the place to start, a relationship with Jesus Christ as he begins to remake you from the inside out. If you don't know him, then use this invitation time. We'll be down here. We'll talk about it, pray with you. Many of us know him, but we've tried to be God of our own lives. What do you do with that? And the answer is you surrender. And so we'll be here to talk or pray with you. You can use the altar if you want to do that. Whatever the case, whatever God's dealing with you about today, deal with it. Let's pray. We'll go into invitation time. Father, we ask that you would use this time, this message. And your word, as your spirit works in our lives, to change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing, please.